Come on up, brother. Let's step into this next uh, part of our time together. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Roger. And so honored to be back with you guys. I was here, I looked it up actually last night, um, March of 2020. So it's been about a year and a half or so around that time. So it's just a real honor to, um, to be back here. And I just have just a real deep love for your pastors and really honor their service, years of service unto the Lord and honor what they're doing here in Fairmont. It's always good to be in West Virginia. I'm a Florida boy by birth and uh, most of my family's still down there. But my wife from Akron, Ohio, but was raised in Buchanan and my brother-in-law pastors in Buchanan, West Virginia. So I spent some years in my 20s. I'm in my mid-50s now, but in my 20s, I lived in Buchanan for a few years. So we've just grown to love this area, and we just thank God for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in this part of the country. And again, just so honored to be connected with, um, with the throwers and, and their ministry and just really, really have grown to love them and enjoy every time I can be with them. So again, thank you so much for being here this morning. Before I, I share what I believe the Lord has put on my heart for the next little while, I want us to, um, if we could, I know we prayed for the sick, which is awesome, but um, we are facing some very challenging situations in our nation right now. As I was on the way in this morning from Ohio, I was listening to um, Sirius Radio and um, news, and about 30 minutes before I got here, I heard there was another explosion in Kabul at the airport this morning. We've already lost 13 soldiers that are being flown into Dover Air Force Base today. And we don't know exactly what happened with that other explosion, but there was another um, explosion in Kabul at the airport this morning. Um, we have grave challenges. We're, we're close to people on the ground over there, the church there in that area. And um, I just feel like we need to pray for that. And also, um, New Orleans area, just west of New Orleans, the eye of Hurricane Ida will come ashore in the next probably couple of hours. And the last I heard, and I'm from Florida, so I'm used to hurricanes, but um, it's a Category 4, could go to a Category 5, over 150 mile per hour winds and storm surge. So I'm very close to, I preach all through that area, very close to a lot of different people and churches and ministries. So could we just stand? And um, this is, if there's ever a time for the church to be prayerful and to stand in our role as intercessors, I believe it's right now. So let's let's pray. Father... We, we lift up our soldiers in Afghanistan at that airport right now. We don't know the fallout from this latest explosion, whatever it is, but Lord, we just pray that you would be present. God, give grace, give wisdom, give insight. Lord, we pray for those families that are receiving the remains of their loved ones at Dover today. God, I just pray you would just be with them, that your grace, your peace would overflood them, God, that they would know your presence. They would know you as their Lord and Savior. Give them an eternal paradigm, Lord. And Father, we just, we pray for the church in Afghanistan. The second fastest growing church in the world is located in Afghanistan. We pray for our brothers and sisters, that underground church, that has, has and will continue to be persecuted even severely, more severely now. Father, let your grace and the provision of your Spirit, Lord, even as Paul spoke about the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, may there be an abundant supply of grace upon your people in that part of the world, Lord God. Give them wisdom, give them insight, give them strategy, how to disciple, how to grow the church, how to be fruitful, how to move in the gifts of the Spirit. And Father, even in the midst of persecution, give them unusual grace and peace. Father, we, we pray for our leaders, our governmental leaders, our military leaders. God, we just ask, give wisdom, God. Father, break in to this administration and reveal your strong arm, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would take away every hindrance, God, and Lord, that you would be glorified in every sector of our nation, God. We pray for this right now, Lord. Father, we pray for those in the wake of Hurricane Ida. God, I just ask that there would be no loss of life. God, that your hand would be upon that people. Father, you can turn that storm. We pray, God, that you would supernaturally 
Lord, do a work. Even though I know the reports are ominous, we ask, God, that you would change the thing, God. That you would stop it on a dime, Lord God. Be glorified, Lord God, in that part of our country, God. And Lord, be with those that are looking this thing down the barrel, Lord God. And we ask for unusual grace for the church as they minister during this season in Louisiana, Mississippi, parts of Texas, and even western Alabama there, God. We just ask that your grace would be sufficient, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thank you so much. I just felt it was important for us to, to remember these things and for us to continue to be prayerful about the things that are going on in our nation, around the world. And um, it's an important time. It's a, it's a challenging time. I, I don't plan just to stand up here and talk about all the challenging things. However, it is important for us to know the season that we're in. And, and with that, the Lord's really dealt with me this morning to take some time and um, to share what it means to really stand in the gap in this season of history. What does it mean to be the church in the hour that we live in? You know, it's always important that we know our role, but, but there are seasons and there are, there are times in history where I believe it becomes polarized or it becomes inflated, so to speak. And if there's ever a time when the church in America needs to stand up and be the church, I believe it's right now in the hour that we live in. And listen, I've, I've been preaching now for 36 years and have pastored four different churches. I've been blessed. I've preached in 37 nations around the world and have just done a lot of things. And, and I've been so blessed to see the hand of God move literally around the world. But I have never felt um, the pressing in my spirit, especially in my prayer time, that I feel right now for the church to stand up in the authority of the name of Jesus and to be who God has called us to be. So I want to talk for a little while about some of those things. And um, let me just open up with, with some thoughts. And then I'm going to be going to a few different places in the word this morning. You can turn with me or write the verses down. I think I'll read from like four different places. But, but listen, um, I believe City Church has to embrace her role in Fairmont, in West Virginia, in the United States of America. You understand that, that our purpose is not just to gather, even though that's very important. Our purpose is not just to have um, a good service, even though I love good meetings, and I mean, I'm, I'm in services all the time, and, and I love that, but I believe we, we have to embrace our, I'll say it this way, our apostolic mandate. What does that mean? That means that God gives his church strategy in every season of history. And listen, the gospel is about Communities, cities, regions, nations, the, the preaching of the gospel, the, the dispelling of darkness and the, the entrance of light into the nations of the earth. That has always been the plan of the Lord since the birth date of the church. And I believe we, we now find ourselves in, in such an important season that we must embrace our role in this city in this region, in this time of history. Listen, um, our intercessory role is really foundational to our spiritual identity. How many of you know the church is not about buildings? It's not about personalities. God can use those things. It, it's not about talent, even though God can use talent. But listen, the, the identity of the church is rooted in her ability through the Spirit of Christ to change generations. To, to impact the season of history that we find ourselves in. And listen, now that I'm in my mid-50s with six grandchildren and one on the way, um, I've realized something, Pastor Roger. There's Remember the old days we had the cassette players and you could rewind tapes. There's, there's no rewind on life. In other words, I, I can't go back and relive my 20s, 30s, 40s, or even early 50s, but listen, there is, there is this one season of time that you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, have to impact the hour that we live in. As we look throughout history, there have been those that, that really believed this, and, and they gave themselves to it, and, and their lives were 
categorized by these deep places of, of knowing God in intercessory prayer. There's um, a man that maybe some of you have heard of. His name was Reese Howes. Anyone ever heard of Reese Howes? There's a book called Reese Howes Intercessor. If you've not read that, I would encourage you to, to get that book. Norman Grubb is the author, Reese Howes Intercessor. But it really um, shows how that through the faithfulness of Reese Howes, and I actually met his, his son, Samuel Howes, who was in his 90s. I met him in Wells back in the, the mid-1990s when I visited Wells. But, but the, the influence and the, the way that God used that man and those people that were with him during the World War II era is phenomenal. I mean, the Spirit of the Lord would show up in their prayer meetings and give them exact strategy of how to pray how to intercede, and then they would see the result of their prayers in the international news sector. Listen, I believe more than ever before, it's so important that we know our identity and that we know who we're called to be and what God has placed upon us. You see, our primary history, the history of the church and its effectiveness will be tethered to the ability or to the faithfulness of those that carried his heart in prayer and intercession. Listen, I have been a student of revivals for years. I have taught on revival history and characteristics in university settings. I have written research papers on revival. I have visited lands of revival. I've been to the Hebrides Islands where the Hebrides revival broke out in 1949 in Barvis on the island of Lewis. I have been to Mariah Chapel in Lockhart, Wells where the Welsh revival broke out in 1904. I have been to many parts of the world where there's great revival, the Silcott revival in India, the, um, the great revivals in England that took place where God would use men, even in the 1700s, like, like John Wesley and different ones. And listen, there is something that I found out about moves of God throughout history. Number one, they oftentimes happen in the darkest of the night. They, they oftentimes break out in seasons where you would never think they could break it. When I look at the condition of the United States of America, where we have found ourselves in a place now, John Wesley said one time, what one generation tolerates, the next one will embrace. And I take that, Father, the next one will promote, and the next one will even celebrate. We are celebrating perversion in our nation as more and good and loving. We are rejecting the basic tenets of the Word of God. And listen to me, it is in dark hours like this, God begins to arouse the hearts of men and women to seek His face in prayer, to begin to cry out, God, save my city. Lord, touch my state, touch my nation. I know it looks impossible. It looks like we'll never see revival in the church and awakening in America. But I want to tell you something this morning. God is faithful to his own glory in every generation. What do I mean by that? Look at the, the Old Testament prophets, the, the history of Israel's idolatrous activity and how that she would backslide into idolatry and embrace the, the heathen practices of the pagan nations surrounding her and even accept their demon gods in the midst of Yahweh, their own God. And what would God do? God would awaken the heart of a prophet and that prophet would come in thundering the word of Yahweh God, calling the people back to right relationship through repentance to the living God. God's faithful to his own glory in every generation. In the darkest seasons of history, we have watched the hand of God as he has stirred the hearts of his people to cry out, to pray, to seek his face. And God is faithful to respond to the cries of the hungry and the desperate. You see, friend, the history of the church is connected. It is tethered to the intercessors in every generation, every revival that I have studied. I have found, Pastor Roger, a, a seedbed of praying people. And oftentimes, it's only a few, or maybe even one. 
In the Welsh revival that broke out in 1904, Evan Roberts at the age of 12 years old was gripped by the hand of God as a boy. And from the age of 12 to the age of 26, he gave himself to deep intercessory prayer. Read the history of Evan Roberts. I mean, this, this young boy came under God's heart for his nation. He knew some of the history of what God had did in the 1800s in his nation. And he saw the despondency, the dead religion, the desires for the spirit of the age that had hit his nation. And as a 12-year-old boy, I know that sounds crazy, especially in our generation, but as a 12-year-old boy, he comes under this deep burden of God to pray for revival in his nation. For 14 years, he's faithful to intercede. There was a time when his family was actually removed from their housing. They were in like a duplex unit. And his landlady, the landlady thought that young Evan was like psychotic or maybe under some type of demonic influence because he would cry out sometimes in the night with such burden of heart for the condition of his nation. As they characterized the life of Jeremiah, history shows us that he was known as the wailing or the weeping prophet. Matter of fact, he said in one place in the King James, it's very descriptive. He says, my bowels, my bowels, I writhe in pain. Other translation, my agony, my agony, I'm writhing in pain. What was he talking about? He felt the very heart of God for Judah, that southern Davidic nation. He, he felt the, the grieving of Yahweh himself. And God stirred him to a place where he brought the word of the Lord in such an hour before the children of Judah, the children of Israel, went into Babylonian captivity. But he was faithful to carry the burden of God. And if there's ever been an hour when the church must be faithful to carry God's heart, it's in the hour that we live in right now. It's in the season that we find ourselves in. I, I want to read a quote from Oswald Chambers, and then I want to share some scripture with you, and we'll, we'll share just a little bit this morning. Oswald Chambers, some of you have heard of him. He wrote My Utmost for His Highest, probably one of the most famous or the most famous devotional there is. But listen to what Chambers said. True intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude towards that person or that circumstance. Listen to what he says. People describe intercession by saying, it is putting yourself in someone else's place. Now listen to what Chambers says. He said, that's not actually true. He said, true intercession is putting yourself in God's place. It is having his mind and his perspective regarding a matter. Now understand that there is a level of truth, of course, that we empathetically put ourselves where people are and we stand in the... But, but listen, the, the ultimate expression of intercession that Chambers is trying to feel here is that we literally begin to feel what God feels. What does it mean to be a prophetic people? Listen, sometimes I will... Oh, in the gift of prophecy, Pastor Rob, Roger, and, and I believe in the prophetic gift as well as the prophetic office of prophet. But listen to me, to be a prophetic people doesn't simply mean that we believe in the gift of prophecy and we accept the office of the prophet. To be a prophetic people means that we experience the heart of God in every area of our lives. We feel what he feels. We pray his heart. We have compassion for the sick because Jesus was moved with compassion for the sick. We have a burden for the condition of our nation because God is burdened for the condition of our nation. We are grieved as we look at the situation in Afghanistan this morning. Why? Because our creator, our father is grieved at the condition. In other words, it, it's a deeper level of experience in God. And I, I want to read some, some verses to you this morning that I believe will, will give you some even better understanding of this. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26 this morning. Romans 8 and verse 26. I love the book of Romans. I love all the Pauline writings, but, but Paul's writings in Romans are so full of the purity of, of doctrine, and he brings such description to certain things. And in Romans 8, to be honest with you, 
in my 20s and maybe early 30s, I kind of understood this, but I didn't really understand it. I remember asking certain leaders that were much older than me at the time, what does this really mean? And um, they would talk about things. Well, the old people used to pray through. Remember talking about that? And, and some of the old people did used to pray through. I was in some of those meetings in the, in the mid-80s. But, but there's, there's this deep picture of intercession that I believe the church has to recapture. And this is where our power comes from this morning. Listen to what Paul said, Romans 8, verse 26 and verse 27. In the same way, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Why? We do not know what we ought to pray for at times. For the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The old King James says through groans that cannot be uttered. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And this is an intense picture. What is Paul saying? There is a depth in intercession and prayer effectiveness that we can live and walk in where the Holy Spirit literally, I'll use this terminology in a holy way, possesses an individual. I mean, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you are possessed with the purposes of God. Listen, when the Holy Spirit begins to pray through an individual, there are things that the Holy Spirit knows that we do not know. And as a yielded vessel, oftentimes prophetic enlightenment comes through yielded lives that have given themselves to intercession. Let me give you an example of this. Several years ago, I was preparing to take a team of about 40 students to southern India to Andhra Pradesh, the Vishakapatnam area. And I was taking a large, pretty large group of students out of the Brownsville Revival School of Ministry. I would meet with these students. We were doing days of fasting and prayer. We knew that this was going to be an intense time, a lot of village ministry, sleeping outside on tarps and all kind of stuff. And we knew there was a lot of, you know, demonic resistance to the gospel in this region. So I, I took several weeks before we even flew to India and I would meet with these students and pour into them and encourage them. Some of them had never even been out of the country, so I was trying to let them know, you know, this isn't, you know, walking through the tulips. This is demonic warfare. Um, you know, make sure your heart's pure, all those kind of things. And then we would spend hours in prayer. We had a prayer chapel on the campus at the Brownsville School of Ministry, and there was one afternoon we got into this prayer chapel, and um, there was a young girl from South Korea that was one of our students, and she came under something that, to be honest with you, was piercing and even challenging. As we prayed, we were probably an hour or so, maybe a little more into the prayer time. We usually prayed a couple hours, and we asked God to show us things. And God was faithful. He would, you know, God's faithful. You know that? I mean, <laughs> you know what it's like, Pastor Roger. I think you even mentioned this earlier a little bit. You know, sometimes when you just let the Holy Spirit bring enlightenment. He really brings enlightenment to situations in our lives, circumstances that we're going through. I love, that's, that's the nature of his kingdom. But, but, but the Lord had been faithful through those prayer, weeks of prayer to bring things to light, to pray about specifically. But there was one afternoon when this, this young Korean girl fell to the floor and went into a fetal, and she was a real small girl anyway, she went into a fetal position and she began to cry with piercing volume. Kudi, I won't even say it the way Kudi, Kudi, Kudi. In my mind, I'm thinking, is that like a Korean word or something that I don't know about? I mean, and for over 30 minutes, she's crying, Kudi. I could tell some people were agitated, but, but I knew. I mean, you know, you can know when the Spirit of God's really doing something. I knew this was the Holy Spirit on this young girl. We, we, she ended, and probably about an hour or so later, we were finally all released from this meeting. To be honest with you, we left that meeting asking God, Lord, show us what Kudi is. We have no clue. Three weeks later, we're in India. We are in our final day of ministry. We'd been there for, I think, 12 days. We're in our final day of ministry. And we, we drove for several miles, like maybe three hours. And, you know, oftentimes the way it is in certain parts of the world, I'm in Africa a lot as well, we can only drive so far, then we have to walk into different villages. And it was the case where we were at in India. We drove for a, a good ways, and then we began to walk, and all of a sudden we began to ascend a very steep mountain. And as we get to the top of the mountain, sweating and panting, the Indian leader turns around and he says, this is the village of Kudi. So we're like, oh, my. I mean, literally, whenever he said that, I, I mean, I literally felt like, 
the wave of the Holy Spirit just came over me. We went into that village, and to be honest with you, we were all so invigorated by the Spirit of God because we knew that God had already used this young girl and us to pray for kingdom purposes into that little village. That little village was completely Hindu. Matter of fact, several radical Hindu groups were even located in that village that were very aggressive towards Christianity. But in that village, we preached the gospel and we saw the kingdom of God break in and hearts change. And I know today there's at least, I think, two now churches that have been established in that Hindu village and the glory of God is there. Why? Because a young girl, a young girl entered this, this Romans 8 place, this place of intercession. Can I tell you, I've also seen this. In, how many of you know when you preach 36 years, you got a lot of stories? <laughs> Forgive me if I'm just waxing on my stories, but, but I want to share one more thing with you because this is local. This is Upshur County, West Virginia. I was radically saved on January the 24th of 1985. I was a drug addict. I was perverted. I mean, I, I was in bad shape. My, my father introduced me to drugs when I was eight years old, as well as Hustler magazine and all kind of stuff. And my father fell dead at age 51 from drug abuse. My youngest brother's been in prison for 26 years because of drugs and the Cuban mafia that he got involved in in Miami and the stuff he, I won't go into all the details. I got another brother that's been in and out of jail because of meth and different things. My great grandfather committed suicide. My grandfather committed suicide. My dad's sister committed suicide. My point is this, I'm not the poster child to be a preacher this morning, but God. January 24th, 1985, I leave a little town called Crawfordville, Florida. And we're, we're drinking, I don't know what they call it, we used to call it Mad Dog 2020. We're drinking Mad Dog 2020 and smoking dope, my friend and I, Hud. And we were on our way to Alligator Point, which is a beach in North Florida, the party with some friends of ours. We were going to spend the night on the beach and just party all night. On the way to Alligator Point, there's a little church called Otter Creek Community Church, and there was a young boy at my school that kept messing with me. He would say stuff, you know, Keith Collins, Jesus loves you, and I'd say, Blankety blank. I mean, I, terrible. I was a, a rank heathen dog. <laughs> I mean, literally, that, that, that's who I was. And he kept telling me, Jesus loves me. Jesus has got a plan for your life. And he was bold, man. And I just, I got so sick and tired of hearing. He'd bring his big black Bible. We called him Bible Thumper. He'd bring his big black Bible. He was radical. He would, he would come to school early and pray at the flagpole before the classes started. Just this radical kid. And anyway, one day he came up to me and he said, hey, Keith, he said, I dare you to come to my church Friday night. He said, we're having a revival. Now, the only thing I knew about revival, to be honest with you, my father was Roman Catholic, so I'd been to mass several times. But the only thing that I kind of knew about revival was my, one of my girlfriend's mother was Pentecostal holiness, and she would turn Jimmy Swaggart on if he was on, if I was at their house, hoping I would listen to Swaggart back in 1984, so back when his ministry was real big on TV. And so, but, but I never really paid attention to it, so I didn't know really what revival even meant, and that, what they were calling revival was really just a series of meetings. But anyhow, he dared me to come to his church on this Friday night, so listen to me. On the way to Alligator Point, I told my friend Hud, I still... To this day, can't believe I did. I said, I'm going to stop by this church, and I'm going to step in the back of the church and wave at Joey, and then we're going to go on down to the beach. I stood in the, I got in the back of that church, and Hud was with me. We stood on the back wall, little country, Pentecostal holiness type church, and um, I was shocked. I'd never seen anything like this, Roger. I mean, they were clapping their hands. They were, I thought, this is weird, man. I mean, I knew the droning litany of an organ and stuff like that, but, but I'd never seen anything like this. So it kind of amused me and fascinated me. And you have to understand, I'm, I'm drunk and high both. I, so I'm amused and I'm fascinated. And I, my friend is like, man, let's get out of this place. And I said, just hold on. I want Joey to know that I'm here. As I stood against the back wall, my first experience with the presence of God, the tangible presence of God, is I became as sober as a judge. I mean, literally. And, and I, had drunk, believe, I, I, I had drank enough and smoked enough that I should have been lit for some time. I remember I, I put my head in my hands and shook my head because I couldn't believe that I was sober. It freaked me out, to be honest with you. I mean, it scared me. My friend said, I can't, I gotta, I can't be in here. And I told him, I said, go on, I'll get a ride there later. This was a divine setup. 
It's connected to Buckhannon, West Virginia, though. You're going to hear this in a minute. And literally that night, this preacher from Cleveland, Tennessee gets up and he begins to preach. And there's probably 80 people, maybe 75, 80 people, small church, begins to preach. And I remember thinking, I cannot believe that Joey told this guy everything about me. I mean, I felt like everything he's saying is like right at me. He knows everything about me, my dad. I mean, it's just like this guy wrote an entire sermon about Keith Collins with all these other people. That's literally how I felt. Of course, Joey had never even spoken to the guy. The next thing that happened, I still have no recollection of. I didn't even know really what an altar call was at that point in my life. I don't remember him saying, if you want to get right with God or if you want to give your heart to Jesus, come down to this altar. I don't remember any of that. Somehow, I got from that back wall to the floor of this little church, and I'm literally laying on my back like my body is in detox or DTs. For over three hours, I'm on the floor of this little church, and all I can say is this. It was like a funnel from heaven was put into my heart. And all the craziness, all the vileness, all the perversion, the Lord was doing surgery in every area of my life. Steve Hill, the revivalist at the Browns Revival, the evangelist, used to talk about being so saved. Man, I'm going to tell you, I got so saved that night. After I finally was able to get off the floor, after literally three and a half hours, the associate pastor, Michael Hall, came to me and he said, son, can I lead you in a sinner's prayer? And I'm like, sure, whatever that is. But, but literally, the Lord so radically touched my life. I went down. And listen, I'm not telling you I've never had temptations or anything like that, but I'm telling you, I had such an encounter with the love of God with the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That from that, listen, I, I was radically saved on Friday night. Monday, I preached my first sermon in the school cafeteria. Remember those tables that would fold down with the round plastic seats? I, I stood on one of those round plastic seats and I began to share what God had done for me. The, the calculus teacher came and he grabbed me around the waist and took me down because he thought I was messed up or something. But I, I got so saved. We began to pray with my friends on Friday nights and we'd go to Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida, and we, and we were radically awakened to the kingdom of God. But let me tell you how God moves prophetically. I met my wife that same year. I got saved January of 85. June of 1985, I met my wife from Buchanan, a little town called North Wilkesboro, North Carolina, near Boone area. And our little church's youth group and their church's youth group in Buchanan came to the same youth camp. And that's where I met her. And I knew that this was going to be my wife. I won't go into that story. That's a whole other message. But anyhow, in October of that year, I made enough money through mowing grass. And I would, I won't go into what I used to do, but castrating hogs. They'd pay me a dollar a hog, small pig. I mean, this is the kind of stuff I grew up doing. I'm a farm boy. But anyhow, I, I made enough money to where I had enough money to buy a plane ticket from Tallahassee, Florida to Pittsburgh and back. And my wife and her sister picked me up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and drove me to Buchanan. Now, listen, I had heard about my mother-in-law. When, when my wife was born, her mother was 49 and her father was 56. So there's still hope in Jesus' name. So she was more like their grand, like she had a sibling 32 years older than her. So she was really like their grandchild. And they were very seasoned people. They were friends with Lester Summerall and people like this. And church planters planted a church in Ohio, planted two churches in Kentucky, planted the Way of Holiness Church in Buchanan. But just very prophetic prayer. Matter of fact, I never saw my mother not at least, and I know we can't all do this, but she, every day she prayed at least four hours, sometimes more than that. She had a prayer room and, and the Lord would meet her in there. And he schooled me in that prayer room with her, my early years of walking with God. But listen, I'd heard about my mother-in-law and how she had this word of knowledge gift. So to be honest with you, I was scared to meet her. This was all so new to me. I remember from the airport, Pastor Roger praying, God, please don't let her see any lustful thoughts towards her daughter, Lord. Let me just, I mean, this, I mean, I'm 16 years old. I'm like, Lord, I mean, literally, I was like, don't let Sister Merle, they called her Sister Merle, don't let her see anything like crazy on me. I walked up to on the front porch and she stepped out of the door there. And she looked at me in tears. And in my mind, I'm thinking, she's going to look like Granny Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. And sure enough, she had the bun on her hair and the long dress and stuff. And she walked out on the porch and she looked at me and she began to cry. And here's what she said. She said, I know you said, three years ago, the Lord brought you to me in a dream and told me you were coming to marry my daughter. 
and I've been praying for you for three years. I know you. Now, three years before that, I was not the candidate to marry her daughter. I'm telling you something, friend. There is a depth in prayer and intimacy with God that the church has to recapture especially in the hour that we live. And listen, Paul said it this way. Listen, these weapons that we have, it's it 2 Corinthians chapter 10, but the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, we are not wrestling against flesh and blood. I, listen, we can blame the government. We can blame the church. We can blame, but we are battling demonic forces and only through intimacy and prophetic enlightenment through prayer and intercession does the kingdom of God advance effectively. It is the purpose of God to awaken deep intercession in his church. In this, I don't see another solution, friend. I really don't. I, I've talked, you know, I'm, I'm friends with so many different leaders around the world, but I, I've talked to so many different leaders in recent months, and and. The thing I keep hearing, the church has to have revival and the nation has to have awakening. There's, listen, if we go another 20 years, look what's happened just in the last 20 years. Who would have ever dreamed that we would have embraced and even promoted things? And I'm talking about vile, perverted things as noble and things to celebrate. We are in a desperate situation. However, we are not a hopeless people. Our armor is still in place. And what, what is God wanting? God is wanting us to step in to that place where we feel his heart. And we pray it forth effectively. And we believe for cities to change. We believe for nations to change. Listen to one more quote. Ian Bounds, who some call the apostle of prayer, who lived during the Civil War era and wrote great, great things about the subject of intercession and prayer. Listen to what Bound said. The wrestling quality of important prayer does not spring from physical vehemence or fleshly energy. It's not how loud we pray. Sometimes I pray loud. Sometimes I don't say a thing. I just allow the Spirit of God just to speak through me and to me. Listen, he said, it is not an impulse of energy near a mere earnestness of soul. It is an inwrought force a faculty implanted and awakened by the Holy Spirit. Virtually, it is the intercession of the Spirit of God in us. Again, it's Romans 8. It's living in such a way that our lives become a tool in the hand of our Lord. You see, here's what I believe. I believe those that God has used the greatest did not even realize they were being used so greatly. They were just yielded. To the Lord. I love the history of Billy Graham, of course, being in Charlotte, the museum there and stuff. But one thing they said that Billy Graham never got over was the fact that God used him the way he said he just kind of, he never got over. He was just blown away that this farm boy milking cows, living on a farm, would be used of God to touch the nations. Listen, I believe the history of the church cannot be effectively known until one day when we have the mind of Christ where we see where maybe a dear grandmother or maybe a grandfather, or maybe a young person fasten themselves to prayer and intercession. And because of their faith, because, here's what I know, because of Arliss Merle, my mother-in-law's faithfulness, I stand in Fairmont, West Virginia this morning. You understand? I, I don't stand on my own strength. I stand on the shoulders of those that have gone before me, those that were faithful to this deep place of knowing God. You see, the thing this generation that we live in needs right now, they need to see a legacy of intimacy with Jesus imparted into them. They don't, know how, they don't, they don't even know how to do good church. I have trained preachers for almost 27 years. I've taught homiletics, and if I was grading myself, I'd probably, 
I probably butchered the grade this morning, but I'm not interested in that right now. Listen to me. I have trained leaders and I've trained people how to speak and there's some merit to that. I'm not against some of that stuff, but listen to me. We have come to a place now to where it's not how good we perform. I told a preacher, I said, you know, when I first got saved, there were teams of intercessors that would come to the church sometimes an hour or two hours before. Now we got production teams that'll spend weeks just trying to have a good performance. And I'm not against excellence. Don't misunderstand me. But, but listen, where is our focus? Friend, this generation needs to see the power of God. Signs, as, as, our, as our brother said, oftentimes a sinner comes to the Lord because they experience the power of God in their lives. A lot of the American church doesn't have enough power to cast out a house cat much less a demon. We need the power of God to deal with demons, to deal with the, the onslaught of the enemy. I just wrote a book here and released it a few weeks ago. It's called The World Without Absolutes. And I took about a 400-page thesis and I boiled it down to seven small chapters dealing with the condition of our world and why so many of our young people are so deceived through postmodernism and all these types of things. And friend, the only solution is a church alive unto their God that knows her. I'm going to close with these three points, and then we're going to go into a time of prayer this morning, continue to pray for our sister as well. See, there, there's a pattern that I see in the Word of God of those that God can use in a Romans 8 type of way. Number one, we've got to be willing to identify identify with the heart of God. Identification is number one. Through a life of consistent prayer, our hearts become aware of the eternal desires of the Lord. Show me prayerful people and I'll show you powerful people. They just, they have, I call it just that raw faith. I, I still love to read like Brother Summerall, sometimes we pick him up on some channel out of Boone or Hickory, North Carolina, and simple teaching, but just bam, 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 just the truth of the Word of God, or even some of old Daddy Hagen stuff, just pure faith and believe in God. You see, prayerful people tap into another realm than just trying through human effort and energy to push something forward. The, the Holy Spirit begins to minister through them, and all of a sudden, kingdom realities begin to take place all around their lives. Normal Christianity, I call it. Identification is number one. Number two, and this is challenging, sometimes we've got to be willing to agonize. I heard David Wilkerson preach years ago, whatever happened to anguish? Whatever happened to feeling the heart of God for the condition of a nation? If we sow in tears, friend, there is something beautiful about that. I have been in places where the burden of the Lord was so intense in my life that it, it, it arrested me sometimes for hours on end until finally I was released. But I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I knew that I was agonizing with the heart of God. Somebody's got to be willing to agonize over the condition of our culture and our nation. And number three, through identification, you can stand. Through agony, we reach this place of authority. Friend, we are not the tail. We are the head. We don't have to ask permission from the devil to do anything. God has given us kingdom authority through intercessor prayer. Again, the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You say, man, we've heard this prayer stuff. I know a lot of it. Listen, I heard one preacher say that prayer is written about, sung about, and talked about more than it's ever done. I believe if we would give ourselves to this place, this Romans 8 place of intercession, friend, who knows what God can do in our generation. Would you stand with me this morning? Thank you for being so attentive. Here's what I feel to do this morning. Can we just come for a time of prayer? whether that's three minutes, 10 minutes, it really doesn't matter. But, but just ask the Lord in our own lives, Father, take me deeper in intercession. Maybe this is foreign to you, this whole 
the Holy Spirit praying through you, sometimes even through wordless groans. And again, sometimes my prayer time is very quiet. Sometimes it's worshipful. But, but there are sometimes it, it's warfare and it's, it's, it's supplication and it's intense. And friend, this, this is an hour to get on the battlefield. Our world needs to see a church alive with the purposes of God. If you're here this morning, you would say, Lord, use me in this way. Could I ask us just, just to come forward if you would? If you can't, that's fine. You can stay where you're at. But can we just come forward just as a, a collective sign that, Lord, we want to be those people in Fairmont, West Virginia. Father, we want to see change in our city. We want to see change in our nation. But we don't want to use an, we don't want to lose another young person to drug overdose, to, to meth or whatever. Lord, we don't want to see another family destroyed. Father, we, we don't want to see, Lord God, the 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 um even admiration of perversion and evil that we see in our generation. But God, we want you to break in to our city, to our nation, to our church as never before. Just lift your voice to him right now. Begin to cry out to him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you in an initial prayer. But then I'm going to ask you just to stay before the Lord until you're released. And then I'll turn this back over to Pastor Roger. But let, let me lead you in an initial prayer. Father, we humble ourselves before you this morning. We acknowledge our weakness, Lord. Paul said, in our weakness, you pray through us, Lord. We, we acknowledge that we don't always know what to pray, Lord. So, Lord, we, we say, come upon the Holy Spirit. Father, awaken your heart within your church this morning. Take us deeper into intercession, Lord. Bring revelation. Bring, bring prophetic enlightenment as we pray. May you reveal by your spirit your heartbeat for our times of prayer. And then, Holy Spirit, even when we don't know what we're praying, come upon us, Lord. Even through groanings, even through wordless groans, Lord God, as you use us to birth forth your eternal purposes into our generation. Lord, we make ourselves available this morning. Now take us deeper, Jesus. Take us deeper, Lord. And Lord, use us for your glory in this hour. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Lord, we not only receive the message of this uh, today, we receive the mantle of this message. Would you lift your heads? Jesus is a praying, he was a man that didn't do anything without praying. He came and he emptied himself of all the privileges of being God. And he humbled himself, he, he emptied himself of the privileges, and then he humbled himself and became a servant. But he didn't do anything except that he was hearing the heart of his father in prayer. Let's go ahead, just for those of you who have your prayer language, just pray in the Spirit right now. Just pray in the Spirit. Step into a new season. There's a mantle. There's a mantle. I believe the Lord really shifted something in my heart. I believe that there's actually, you will be, it'll be easier for you to step into the role of prayer than it was before you came today. Just go ahead and lift your head. Let the fresh energy and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I feel like He's going to take you and He's going to walk you into a new season of, there's, there's a couple of things. There's agony in it, but there's joy in it. The Lord says, I got release of joy in your life that I'm going to release the joy of being with me in prayer. Let's praise. Praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. Oh, because, because the grace of God is a, affords the joy and the pleasure and the sweetness. It, re it releases all these other things, these qualities, because the Lord doesn't just come and put a burden on you that He doesn't walk with you and hold your hand and help you and release you into greater capacity. Thank you, Lord. Let's praise Him now. Praise Him for it. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Some of you have come up against things. You go, you're just bewildered. Maybe something at your work or something. And uh, the Lord is just saying right now, showing me, He's saying, you just go ahead and bring that to me in prayer. And watch me shift things around. Watch me. Watch me move when you're in and through your life. Just bring it to me. Don't be bewildered. Bring me into it. The Lord is desiring a strong relationship with you just in partnering and walking in life that you would be, at, uh, not only that, yes, in life, but there's, I feel, man, I just, when you get up in the morning, 
when you're, it depends on if you're a morning person, late person. I just feel this is coming on my heart. The Lord just wants some personal time. He just wants you to sit with Him and be His. And He'll speak to you. Open the Word. Open your heart. Now let's, 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 let's receive that. That's impartational, what I'm saying right now. The Lord is saying, I want to be with you, honey. The reason you dry up is because you haven't taken the time to let love manifest into your heart. Burdens come off. Joy goes in. Live for the whisper. Live for the whisper of His voice. And then here's the joy of it. The Lord says, we got some big things going on in the world. Would you take a little time and partner with me? He doesn't dump the whole world on you. He shows you how He's going to move in your world. And then you get the faith and confidence that He can move in the world. Let's praise Him and worship Him right now. Praise you, Lord. For He's a good shepherd of the sheep. He knows that you have a craving to hear His voice as His sheep. He knows your name. He called you. He's formed you. There are needs around you. There are needs within you. But the Lord is compassionate. He's compassionate. He called you. You're His disciple. He wants to disciple you. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Some of you that have been really committed to having a quiet time, but it, maybe it's gotten stale. It's not going to be stale now. It's not going to be stale. It's not going to be dried bread. It's going to be, it's going to be buttered up. It's going to be really tasty. You're going to enjoy being in His presence. Let's praise the Lord together, church. Because these days, He's saying, I need you to be with me. If it wasn't that the Lord was whispering into my heart, I would be bewildered. I would be all confused. But because I'm driving my, my soul before Him and sitting before Him and letting Him speak to me, I'm sane. I have a confidence and a security. I know that He's putting an anointing on us for this day. I know it. He's leading us. Lord, we just praise you right now. What you pour out, we're going to take on all. Let's go ahead and just lift your head one more time. Thank you, Lord, for the fire of your of being, our hearts being in ablaze with the, with the glory of your, of your kingdom. Great light to come upon us. In the name of Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Amen.